Welcome to TechLink in Conversation. This episode is part of our vulnerability series. My name's Hannah Coffey and I am the Vulnerability and Client Assistance Manager at Technical Connection. During our conversations throughout the series, myself and Jan Levy from Three Hands will be speaking with a number of organisations, charities and importantly lived experts across a range of vulnerabilities. We hope through our episodes to bring life to a range of vulnerable circumstances, to raise awareness of the signs and the symptoms that financial planners and support teams may wish to consider so that you have the best conversations with your clients to ensure the greatest outcomes. This particular podcast focuses on mental health. Jan, over to you. Thank you, Hannah. Very good to see you again and very good to be here talking about mental health, which um, I I guess is a very hot topic at the moment um, uh, for reasons which we will explore with our uh, experts in the room. So we have Emma Turner, who is the Deputy Chief Executive at Mind in Croydon. So for those of you who don't know, Mind is made up of many different independent Mind charities that deliver services locally. Um, And actually, Emma, what, what, this is a good time. Why don't you just explain a little bit about yourself and your experience in this area? Because mental health has been on the agenda for people in recent years, but it's, this has been your field for quite some time, hasn't it? It, ha- it has, yes. So um, I've been working mental health for about 20, 25 years now. Um, I originally started out as a volunteer working as what's called a befriender, so going around and enabling people on a one-to-one basis to access things in their community. Uh, then I was trained up as uh, an advocate, so an independent mental health advocate. Um, I've worked my way through different mental health associations, latterly uh, different minds, so now I work for Mind in Croydon. Um, and it really is a, a vocation, it, it's a particular choice to to try and influence change and deliver high quality services um, on the front line to so many people who now need more support. And we'll dig into what that need looks like and uh, the different sure. kinds of needs that people face uh, during our conversation. But we've got James here as well, and everybody knows by now that such a valuable feature of our podcast series is having lived experts join us and talk about their own experience, uh, experiences. So James has joined us to talk about his own um, experiences of uh, mental health challenges, and we really appreciate you being here, James. Thank you. V- welcome. Thank you. Hello. Good to see you. And actually, that's where we're going to start off, because at the risk of diving straight into it, um, James, and and, and I guess we'll put it all into context a bit later, but we're going to dive straight into it, James, and ask you just to tell us a little bit about your story and, and, and the kind of things that you've been through in your life, which make you an expert in this area. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, well, I grew up uh, one of four boys, uh, Irish immigrant parents and a very early age of nine uh, experienced trauma my mum dying suddenly in a plane crash and my dad coping with that through active alcoholism and the result on me was really growing up in a family where I felt isolated alone and quite sad really however as I progressed through school was very successful in academia in sports took up leadership positions in teams, captain, very successful. And really, that facade was my protective boundary as I grew up, got my degree in economics from one of the best business schools in Europe and forged a really successful early career with multinational companies. And uh, that was my aspiration as a child growing up, get a really strong business degree and really forge 
a leadership position within big business. And I was doing well on that track and well above average, if not the top of my peer group as a commercial professional working in the sales field with big retail customers, managing accounts and personally progressing on the material front. And that was really what my whole life had been geared towards everything external to me to make me feel good and be successful because that's how I thought people would measure me without actually considering what mattered to me personally. Um, and ultimately, in my early 30s, I got disenfranchised with the life I was living, despite earning very good money relative to the majority of the population, and having a nice car, a nice home, and there was still that empty feeling inside. And it was that sadness, which I've come to learn as traumatic distress, effectively. Some would call it post-traumatic stress that wasn't really dealt with mm. and trauma. And there were really big signs in my late 20s when I think about it. And I, what I called to myself, I threw the towel in of that life, but I still continued on because that's really all I knew. Mm. And it was a protective force field around me. Yep. So it looked great to everyone, but inside I've, I was nothing. And that deepened into really bad depression, which made me ultimately financially very insecure, in huge debt, despite earning very good money. I was overspending to, to fill that void. I was searching, so it's that lost little boy, I suppose, really, my personal story. And that got me into very big trouble, losing a home and not wanting to be around anymore. I couldn't function at work. I, I didn't show up. It's unreliable and lost a couple of jobs, massive debt, psychiatric hospitals, admissions through self-harm, but worse than that, where ambulance would pick me up having well, attempted to take my life at the ultimate stage. And this is a progression of probably four years. Yeah. And that's how it manifested. And there was no particular interventions before that, but there were lots of signs I know now, having not showed up for meetings, not turning up, not being present, and even not looking great in the workplace, not feeling good, and that wasn't shown you know wasn't well it was visible yeah but i'm surprised people didn't notice it and i was going to ask you about that the reactions from people around you at the time was there support were people concerned mm. were people checking checking in on you that's a good point checking in no there was no check-ins yeah. like james are you okay like from line managers or nothing really mm. and I mean, it was quite obvious, really. I mean, when I look at it, you know, someone yeah. doesn't come in, um, like, a couple of days, maybe okay, but if you're in a customer-facing environment where you're, you know, in front of your customer all the time, you're not, you're looking a bit disheveled, say, it's, it's quite obvious something's not right. Um, and there, there wasn't too many massive mistakes on the front line, in the numbers, for example, I worked yeah. in a sales environment, but still... Um, 
it was quite obvious just the tar- general tardiness and then excuses for not showing up, sickness, more sick, sick days. Mm. They're kind of key signs. But there was no intervention and um, I guess that would have helped and really one thing that would have helped a lot would have been maybe a timeout or even a conversation to say, James, mm. I think maybe, you know, here are a pool of resources that you could mm. tap into, yeah. Yeah. such as yeah. mine, for example. Yeah. And this is, this, this, everything that we're hearing now is incredible guidance for employers. We're, our audience is financial advisors. They're thinking about their clients, but they mm. sit in organizations. Many of them might be employers as well. So this is, this is mm. great guidance for employers. I know from previous conversations, James, that we've had that your problems manifested themselves in alcohol and, and, mm. and homelessness as, as well. Right. That's, that's true, yeah. And the go-to was alcohol for me. And that progressed as the years went on. Like a, a lunchtime drink, having really too long of a lunchtime, although we allocated an hour. A good um, liquid lunch. Hey? Yeah, but on my own. It yeah. wasn't, you know, with a yeah. group team. It was isolationist. It was nipping out. In the end, if I'm very frank, it was nipping out in the afternoon after I've already been out for lunch. So those nipping out of the office and not being around. Mm. And obviously alcohol does smell. So, um, yeah, and that infringed on my capability to do my job. Yeah. And it all stemmed from emotional imbalance, well-being. But for me, the depression really kicked in because it was really untreated and there was, mm. it wasn't dealt with and it led yeah. to the hospital and everything like that. And, and you had wealth. Yes. And clearly wealth didn't help. In fact, it might have been part of the problem. Mm. And I overspent. I overspent and I got into debt on credit cards. I lost my driving license as well, uh, which intertwines with the drinking. And that was known to the organisation and still that, I was good at my job, so that facade was there. And uh, it became to a point where nothing particularly mattered anymore. It was, mm-hmm. I was disenfranchised with the business and businesses, the line of work, but really with life. And the material stuff had no actual I- intrinsic value to me. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Emma, listening mm. to James, mm. where... Did James's experiences fit into the wider context of mental health problems and the different, I don't know if you can categorise yeah. them into different uh, yeah. areas? Where, 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 where does James's experience fit in? Well, I think broadly speaking, and I come at this from somebody who's worked in mental health, as I said at the, the top of the recording, um, for a long time, but I'm not a trained clinician. But broadly speaking, we have learned that there are, are two sort of categories. We can see that there are people that may have uh, a predisposition to a, a psychiatric ill health, an organic manifestation, whether that be a psychosis or schizophrenia. We can also see, and I think, you know, James has very generously shared his story with us, and I think that there are some elements there which are environmental and that there are um, particular triggers within James's experiences which, which might um, be interesting to speak of because what we can see in terms of um, 
where there's a, an issue that hasn't been dealt with um, in very uh, loose terms, looking at the, the trauma and the distress that James experiences through the, the dramatic bereavement of, of a parent, this, this can lead to some very um, unresolved behaviours. People are often experiencing stress factors in their, in their home life or in their work life. And these triggers can be a breakdown of a relationship, getting into debt, losing homes, engaging in risky behaviour. Some of that may come through through masking the feelings through um, becoming dependent on, on alcohol or drugs. That then leads to sometimes, you know, criminal issues and becoming involved with the law, losing your licence, etc. Um, there are relationship and financial pressures that sometimes become so big to bear for people if it's not spoken about and shared that we, we often experience and we know from the, the work that I do and the organisation services that we deliver to people that they can become so insurmountable that, that people do hit a wall mm. and there does become a real crisis point in someone's life. Um, with adequate support and social networks around us and, and perhaps with distinct interventions from other services, we can start to rebuild things with people. And, and we often talk about vulnerabilities not existing in isolation. And I think yeah. you know, James has been very open talking about mm-hmm. depression and anxiety. At the same time, um, homelessness and debt and, mm. and, and, and alcohol. Mm. And I, it feels like one of the really complex things about mental health is that sometimes mental health can be the trigger to drink, for example. But mm. sometimes it can be the other way around. Something, you know, What you've said is that there are other triggers, other vulnerabilities that can mm. then trigger mental health problems. Mm. And I think the key feels like this can happen to anyone. Absolutely. And it can become a, a really vicious cycle because alcohol in itself is, is a depressant. So the more one becomes reliant on things and that affects our sleep, it affects our motivation, our ability to think, I know what's actually good for me. That might be going to the gym, going for a run, going to the cinema with friends, engaging with family members. But those things start to take a second place if we actually think, what I'm going to do is have a drink because that might help me get through the, the rest of the afternoon at work mm. and then I can mm. pick up a bottle on the way home and just keep going or whatever it is. Mm. Um, I'm not saying that is what happened in your circumstances, but we know from working with clients that that sometimes is very much the issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can all feel a bit depressed and anxious sometimes, can't we? Mm-hmm. And I think that mental health is a term that has been used much more in recent years is that yeah. is that a good thing are we more sort of self-aware are we well, all i think we've definitely experiencing <laughs> mental health problems every now and then i think we first of all we've definitely come a long way in in our lexicon of describing um mental health so whereas we may have when i started out in my career termed things very much about a psychiatric illness we are now much more looking at somebody who um lives with or experiences anxiety and depression as opposed to suffering from um, which has certain connotations those words Um, but definitely in terms of the broader piece and how we now talk about our well-being and our mental health and how that has been championed via various celebrities and indeed members of the royal family talking about it's okay to talk and express how we feel Sure, there are going to be days within the human condition where we all have ups and downs and we experience 
fluctuating emotions based on how we're actually feeling that day. It's when it might become something that is triggering more of a negative impact on our ability to manage our day-to-day lives and engage in the activities that we would have normally done, turning up for work, being present to carry out our education or our our workplace requirements. So I think on the whole, there is a, a very positive impact to being able to talk about all of society's well-being understanding that we are going to have days when sometimes we don't feel great or we might feel a bit anxious sitting here talking into a microphone yeah. but know that 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 will pass yeah 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 but you're not feeling that anxious about no no, no. <laughs> everything's fine here everything's fine. move along and i think there is a distinction between emotional well-being and that clinical diagnosis yeah. of mm-hmm. clearly a psychiatric need um and in my story, I think the, there was a line that was crossed from that emotional imbalance, if you like, mm-hmm. that manifested in drinking, in maybe not showing up, combined with a very high-pressured like, P&L management, profit and loss yep. ownership for re- retail customers. So it was environmental factors, as you mentioned, Emma, as well, but then... Maybe it provoked some underlying depression that wasn't mm-hmm. really dealt with through counselling, access to speaking mm-hmm. about how I was feeling, processing mm-hmm. that emotional imbalance so that it wouldn't have led to the places I've mentioned before, the hospitalisation and mm. the clinical diagnosis. Mm. And it's very complicated. It's individual. Mm-hmm. And... I think the signposting and one particular intervention that I would like to share that did help me when I got into the financial trouble, deep financial debt in my early 30s, I was 31, I was at crisis point in all aspects and a counsellor signposted me and helped me with my financial management and my situation at that time and that was a huge relief in mm. terms of managing my finances with the help of another charity, a financial debt charity. Okay. That was huge. Yeah, yeah. Somebody to give you a helping hand there. Let's talk about money and mental mm. health. And um, James, that's a really useful lead-in to this point about busy, busy people. And a lot of clients would be working people, earning well in senior positions under lots of pressure, just as you described James, and we're hearing stories of burnout. We're hearing stories of people, actually during the pandemic, people working from home, never really knowing when to stop work. Mm. I mean, is this kind of pressure, is this kind of burnout, are we getting into the mental health territory there that people need to really look out for? Yeah, I think there's probably an increased risk of that because of knowing when to stop and when to walk away from the laptop on our desks in our home environment. It's very easy to think, oh, I'll just go and continue doing that piece of work because it's open, I'm here, I can just crack on with it. Um, I think the key things to, to look out for, I would suggest, are when that level of of pressure and burnout that you've just described, Jan, that people may be experiencing, starts to have a negative and detrimental effect on their ability to manage their day-to-day lives and activities in a way which hitherto they may have been able to do. 
and how we as members of society and parts of social groups and families and workplace colleagues can look out for that in one another. Maintaining the boundaries around work and when that ends in order to be able to maintain our own positive well-being. Mm. James, what I'm interested in is nowadays you're talking so articulately about your experiences and you're able to look back on it and, and share them. What are your habits now that keep you on a positive track in terms of well-being and so on? Well, firstly, I don't feel any shame about myself anymore. And I realise now that that was like a, a really heavy bag that I was carrying on my shoulders since the age of nine mm. for a, re- a good 20 years, if I'm perfectly honest about it. And I was unable to unload that heavy bag piece by piece through talking about myself, being myself. I couldn't be myself in that work environment for many years, and that led to how I was. So I got rid of the shame through seeking help and talking mm-hmm. about my story. I don't I haven't drunk for a long time now, so I put that away. And having the freedom to express myself um, as me, not being being judged mm-hmm. in a safe environment with the right um, structures around me, with peers who have maybe experienced the same thing peer support is really helpful Mm -hmm. so speaking with others who have experienced similar things um life and work experiences that is a strong facilitator for actually emotional growth and that feeling of connectivity with others and that has allowed me to be free Mm -hmm. and actually over recent years really progress in all aspects of my life and have that resilience that's a key word that has sprung up within yeah. me, emotional, yeah. intellectual, and personability with everyone and anyone. And one thing you said earlier when you were describing your work life was um, that you were successful. And there are these perhaps two definitions of successful. One is that classic definition of actually reading between the lines, making lots of money. Mm-hmm. And then there's a broader successful Absolutely. Yeah. And I've just conducted a research project with the University of Cambridge and another charity about thriving, not just surviving. And one aspect that really resonated with me was financially successful, emotionally redundant. Mm. And that was exactly me in my professional, previous professional life. And that has no intrinsic value. And I hear the saying, and I've used it myself, like dead inside, hole in the soul. And Mm. sometimes it doesn't, visibly manifest Mm. it's hard to spot Mm. it's difficult but sometimes like myself just completely kind of implode first and then it explodes Mm. and uh, it doesn't have to get like that I think that's the hopefulness yeah and people can come out a lot stronger and be much more resilient and from a professional perspective be maybe more valuable to an organization after that I, I think in the context of wealth management this is such an interesting conversation isn't it because actually, um, there's an argument we need to move on from that maybe outdated definition of successful mm. to the more holistic one. It's about our lives as a whole. Yeah. It's about our well-being as a whole. Money yeah. is helpful, let's say. Mm. But um, in your case, perhaps a mm. bit of a curse. I don't know. But well, I think having a purpose, a meaningful purpose, 
And that might need a reset in one's life. And that might be looking at different, from a professional perspective or maybe even an investment perspective, at different sectors, different industries that really help to nourish other sides of mm. one's personality, if you wish, yeah. other than what mm. you've yeah. previously but done. I think there's much more sort of focus on employers, from my understanding, investing in, in staff well-being mm. and encouraging positive well-being within their staff force because obviously that's going to reap benefits in terms of productivity, which is what you mentioned earlier, and being able to support and encourage people to... Um, take regular breaks or whether it's about um, engaging in uh, healthy eating programs or, or physical activity, all manner of, of different um, things that we can do that might support us, whether that's different hobbies, whether that's around um, meditation, mindfulness, yoga. And much of that is becoming more embedded in my experience within different workplaces. And we do a lot of work, Mind in Croydon, with employers in our area about raising that awareness mm. and delivering mental health first aid training to employees etc so that that's always a good start for people mm. i think well talking of things that can be done let's get really practical mm-hmm. um what can we all do and what can financial advisors do mm. to look out for their clients and I actually think the context of this conversation is to look out for everybody right we're all looking out for Mm. everybody and let's not forget we've got to look out for ourselves yeah but but in terms of that financial advisor client relationship Mm -hmm. you probably answered this question to a degree already what are the signs that a financial advisor might be able to spot that might cause some concern Mm. I'd say the reliability issue would be one to take note of in the first instance, missed meetings, appointments, tardiness, lateness, mm. and keep an eye on that, I would say. And if it's more frequent, then, you know, that's probably alarm bells. And I presume ask, ask relevant questions around those areas. Yeah. Um, because these meetings, I guess, Hannah, they don't happen... The financial advisor meeting doesn't happen on a super regular basis necessarily, does it? But no, quite. So probably, you know, once every 12 months is, is great. And then we expect, you know, clients to sometimes call in, send emails, those kinds of things. And I guess it's quite difficult within, say, half an hour, an hour period of time to, to get into the kind of depths of, mm. of, you know, what's happening in that individual's life. So, you know, James, you mentioned things like um, missing appointments and, and you also talked previously or or earlier about perhaps um spending money on different things or spending more money than 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 you're actually earning perhaps on a practical kind of point of view from the two of you perhaps how's the best way for a financial advisor to approach that with a client Mm. without breaking the relationship because what you want to do is have honesty and transparency and trust you Mm. don't want to upset somebody Mm. absolutely and i think that that profit and loss statement that I referenced earlier I was talking about as a supplier into a retailer there's a profit and loss you do your own inventory that and I guess engaging the third party such as a a debt charity but that might not be the right kind of angle because someone might not be in debt but that financial management and control of your own personal finances Mm -hmm. could be a very really good starting point to understand outgoings incomings and it might be presumed and I think 
that's probably a good watchword, not mm. to presume too mm-hmm. much. And subtly advising yeah. can be quite interesting. And I think from our experience, it's very much how you have open dialogue with people, open questions in a non-judgmental, um, accessible, inclusive manner, which wouldn't mm. necessarily make somebody feel like they're being judged for what they're spending on or, or looking at the, the bottom line of what's coming in and going out and the differentials there, but, but being able to sort of say, um, how are things going for you? And we have noticed this. And I'm just wondering if there are any other things going on for you which you might find helpful to discuss, either here today, understanding that this is my role and this is as far as I can go with that, but we could signpost or give you information about other places you can go and speak to, other people you can speak alongside and feel comfortable to do so because they're peers that may have experienced similar things Mm. but the key thing is is keeping a contact having an open conversation with someone so you really sort of uh, elicit that trust but ensure that you know where your responsibilities start and end but you also know when it might be bordering into something where you you might suggest to your client have you thought about accessing this that or the other and these are different places that you can go to support you with that and from the financial advisor's point of view and obviously I'm talking from somebody who's not worked in this field before it's feeling confident that you're not going to get that wrong the only thing maybe is that you wouldn't say anything could be more detrimental. So at least starting the conversation is the key, which is probably something we've heard a lot of recently. But Yeah, and so much of the advice we are giving to advisors <laughs> is, is, is about listening, isn't mm. it? And asking good questions... Active using listening. skill, using yeah. skill to ask good questions and, and, and active listening. For me as well, it's it's seeing what's not being said mm. and people's response mm. as well, which is why I think it's always as important as it possibly can be to sit in front of a client, I think perhaps more than telephone mm. or Zoom, because again, yeah. you get a little bit more out of them. You've, you've lost that disconnect yeah. and, a, and a lot of our work over um, the last year and a half has been affected by the, the fact that we're working on Zoom or Teams or whichever um, platform we're using or telephone calls, you could be missing the, the personal cues around somebody's body language when they're discussing things that might be problematic for them or they wish to open up, but because you've got a screen literally there, you are able to present that facade for longer, mm. which was the word that, that James used. And, and I think that, you know the more we can get back to being able to do things together safely and when appropriate, then then that is better probably for society. Yeah. So yeah. the only other thing, I guess, because of, of you know the pandemic and because people are used to being in their homes, I think a lot of financial advisors are seeing that some people have shut down a little bit further and they're not willing to kind of leave home. Or mm. they, they don't particularly mm. want an advisor in their house mm-hmm. and they don't want to go into the offices that they would have done previously. Mm. How do we get around that? Well, I mean, there's lots of very practical things that that could be put into place, exploring with somebody whether they feel comfortable meeting in another venue 
that wouldn't have to be the client's home or the office. So whether that is um, a well-ventilated coffee shop or whether it is about going to a park and walking and talking and moving that conversation outside, um, if that's one of the issues. And of course, if it's, if it's a little bit deeper that someone has acquired a kind of agoraphobia and anxiety about leaving their home, what else is it that we could be doing to support them in, in managing that and acquiring the strategies to support them to move forward if they do want to ultimately get back into leaving the home and coming in and out of different offices, etc. Um, maybe signposting people to, to groups that they can attend, there's always counselling options if that were to be of um, interest to, to the clients. So there's probably very practical things and there are other ways that you can talk to someone about, I'm wondering, have you thought about this? And talking of advice, we've got quite a list of um, places and people and apps and so on and phone numbers to signpost to, haven't we? And mm. I, I'm just going to pick out one or two of them. Um, so we've got National Mind, so that's the umbrella body for all the mind charities. That's right. On 0300-123-3393 and mind.org.uk. Um, I'm going to pick out, um, well, a couple of apps, actually. Uh, Calm mm -hmm. um, and Headspace, both apps that can support in this area. Yeah. What else would you pick out there? Emma? Well, I think if somebody wants to be able to um, reach out and connect with a specialist service that provides mental health services, going on to National Mind would be able to direct you yeah. to which local mind covers the geographic area that you fall within. Um, it's very important just to say that should you have deep concerns about somebody being in crisis, that we're able to sort of talk about that in terms of signposting to helplines such as Samaritans and SaneLine. Um, if you feel that somebody may actually need to go and have a, an appointment with their GP and explain what's going on for them, then we mustn't shy away from the reality of being able to do that because that might actually be the most supportive thing you can do in that moment, is saying, I've noticed this, and you are experiencing X, as you have told me, and reflecting that back to them, and talking about the services that the NHS can provide as well. But I think initially the, the helpline sheet, which I will leave with, with Jan today, there will be some different areas there that may cover as well, around Alcoholics Anonymous, or people uh, wishing to talk to frank around um advice on drugs and alcohol yeah and it's just coming back to that point isn't it that these things rarely exist in isolation there are triggers exactly. uh, and, and there are also outcomes of mental health problems mm. that might manifest themselves in different ways gosh um i feel like it's the sort of thing we could spend the rest of the morning talking about we'd better not <laughs> um I, what i really hope is that the conversation has been helpful on well at least three levels for financial advisors thinking about their clients and the insight into their clients' lives that some financial advisors have. I hope it's helpful in terms of employers and what employers can look out for. And, and I really hope it's helpful as well for everybody listening, just thinking about themselves and mm. checking, in, mm. checking in on themselves, right? That's yeah. key. And I think um, that listening to understand empathy and having an open mind and I like the phrase open ear 
which encompasses everything yeah. really and yeah. we're all people yeah and the perhaps the more day. self-awareness we have the more awareness we'll have about others mm-hmm. indeed as well. it, it does mm. kind of mirror and reflect off each other so yeah, that's totally a good approach to have yeah. totally agree with you James yeah let's wrap it up on that note then James massive thank you Emma from Minding Croydon thank, thank you, you. Um, yeah thanks to both of you for coming in and having this conversation with us we're we're enormously grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. The content of this recording is strictly for general consideration only. No action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone. Professional advice must always be sought. Accordingly, neither Technical Connection Limited nor any of its officers, employees or contractors can take responsibility for any loss occasioned as a result of any such action or inaction.